Bibles, open them up. We're ready for Matthew 24. Matthew 24 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, we'd like for you to have one. So raise your hand and we'll bring you a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Just keep that um, until you can get a Bible or get a better Bible. Um, so again, we encourage everyone each week to bring their Bible with them to church. Um, take notes. One of the things about writing stuff down, it's you know, I think sometimes we don't write stuff down because we say, well, I'm not the type of person that's going to go back later and study it or read it or, or, you know, but that's really honestly not the point of writing stuff down. The big point of writing stuff down is how you listen, how you learn, how you absorb the information that you get. One of, you know, there's lots of different learning styles. And actually, I think the weakest of them all is the style that we use to teach, which is lecture style. I think that's probably the least amount of information that gets retained. Um, but, but everybody's um, modalities or learning styles are different. So, but we encourage you to write stuff down. It, it's another modality. It's another area where you'll retain and, and gather information a little better. So encourage you to bring pen and paper with you when you come to church. Bring your Bibles. We're ready for Matthew 24, beginning in verse number 32 um, today. We've been studying for two weeks now. We're in week three of a section of Scripture in the last 24, 48 hours of Jesus' life. So this um, is a time where Jesus is, is close to dying on the cross. And Jesus was finishing up his discourse with the Sadducees and the Pharisees and those that were testing him and checking the Lamb of God to see if it was worthy. And the last thing that Jesus says to them was that your house would be left to you. Anybody remember? Desolate. And the disciples in hearing that the temple of God, that the temple that, that, that Solomon built, that Herod rebuilt, the fact that it would be left desolate had to mean that it was the end of the world. And the disciples, after they left that area, they went onto the, the Mount of Olives, and, and the disciples kind of pulling Jesus aside, asked him in 24-3, a three-part question, Lord, when will be your coming and what will be the sign in the end of the age? And Jesus begins in what's called the Olivet Discourse because he was standing on the Mount of Olives when he gave it. And he's answering a three-part question that the disciples asked about the end of the world, about the final days of Jesus' coming. Now understand that Jesus was specifically speaking to an audience that in, in less than 40 years would see the temple in Jerusalem completely destroyed and, and the nation of Israel dispersed all around the world. In AD 70, there in AD 67, Titus Vespasian shows up in Jerusalem from Rome with, with an army of Roman soldiers, a contingency. Battle was different in those days. They besieged the city. They circled the city, and they waited them out. They starved them, and, and, the, and the siege took three years. At the end of three years, they had finally marched all the way to the Temple Mount where the, where the temple was, and they set the temple on fire. And the gold of the temple melted throughout the, the stones, and the Roman soldiers began to turn every stone of the temple over, throwing them over the side of the temple mount to get the gold out from in the temple, fulfilling a prophecy that Jesus said that not one stone would be left upon another. In AD 70, mil, uh, many people, many of the Jewish nation died in this war. Many were dispersed. Many left and fled. There was a small group of, 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 of Jewish people that stayed and, and ended up in a place called Masada, way up on a hill by the Dead Sea. When we go to Israel, we go and we, we take this tram ride up to the top of Masada, and we see the place where the Jews held out and lasted and, until about 120 when the final Roman um, siege took place upon Masada. 
Masada is a big, huge, giant mountain with a flat top. And, and you can see the very place where for a long time the Roman soldiers had to, there was no way up there, there was no way down with an army. And they built a ramp that had to go up this mountain, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of feet, I don't know how tall the top of the mountain was, to, to get to the top where they finally besieged Masada and the final, the, the last contingency of Jewish folks left in the Holy Land was dispersed around 120. And for 1900 years, there was no such thing as, a, as Israel. There was no such thing as a Jewish homeland. There was no such thing as a, a place where the Jews could call home. And in Ezekiel 36, mark that down, write that down if you're taking notes. Ezekiel 36, God is talking to the prophet Ezekiel. Now, now granted, this is prior to all these other events taking place. Israel is a nation. And, and Ezekiel the prophet, he's looking out over an area, and there's nothing but dry bones in the land. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a place where it's a cemetery of just bones, and the bones are laying in the ground. And, and, and the Lord speaks to Ezekiel, and he says, Ezekiel, I want to ask you a question. He said, can these dry bones live again? And Ezekiel, you remember what he said? He's like, I don't know. You're God. You tell me. <laughs> I don't know. You're the Lord. And God says, Ezekiel, I want you to begin to prophesy to these dry bones. And, and, and as the Spirit of God comes over him, as the word of prophecy comes, men speak as we're led by the Holy Spirit. He begins to prophesy and he begins to command the bones to form skeletons and bodies. And God begins to do a miracle in this vision and, and eventually skin and sinews and bones. And, 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 and then God breathes the breath of life into these bones and they live again. This is a prophecy in Ezekiel 36. That, that, that what was fulfilled in A.D. 70 and finally in 120, that the nation of Israel would be scattered across the earth, that one day God would bring the nation of Israel back into existence and these dry bones would live again. Now, the number one proof that the Bible is true is the Jew. The number one proof that the Bible is true is Israel. Now, if you can imagine reading your Bible, let's say, in 1750, and, and, and the entire Bible and the entire contingency of all the end times is, is a people group that live in Israel and live in Jerusalem. And that when Jesus comes, he's coming back to Jerusalem. And everything that's fulfilled is fulfilled in and around the historical Israel. None of that can be fulfilled. And so as Jesus is going through in Matthew 24, the signs of the times, in verse 32, where we start today, we come to what, is a, what I call a mega sign. Now, there's lots of signs. There's lots of things that Jesus said we should know. He's going to tell us in verse um, 36, but of that day and hour, no man knows the day or the hour. But, but of the times in Thessalonians, he says, um, speaking to the Thessalonians, he says, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, there's no need that I should speak to you. Why is there, was there no need for the Apostle Paul to speak to the Thessalonians about the times and seasons of Jesus' return? Because they already knew. They already had the signs in the times. They already had, they already knew the seasons. They knew what to look for. And he said, he said, the son of man comes like a thief in the night. He says, but to the Thessalonians, this should not overtake you as a big surprise. When that happens, you will be prepared and ready because you knew the signs of the times. But of the day and the hour, no man knows. So we, we put all of the signs together that Jesus taught us in Matthew 24 and 25 all the things in the Bible about the, the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in an event that we call the rapture. 
And we look at the signs of, you know, he said of pestilence and wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes in various places, Jesus said already in Matthew 24. All those are signs of the times. The signs in the heavens, the signs in the, in the stars and all the things that, that God uses in our universe to give us signs of the times. And, and every one of them is just a different cog in the wheel that we can put together and we will be without excuse when Jesus comes because there will be, when, when God reveals and helps us understand and we really see how much signs he gave us to tell us he was coming, you'll be without excuse. They'll be in the millions. And they're cogs in the wheel. They all add up to a big picture. Now, one of the things, unfortunately, pay attention, I'll lose you. One of the things that happens, unfortunately, is these different cogs in the wheel. Some of these signs that God gives of the end times, lots of people in Christian circles, our brothers and sisters in Christ, they like to sensationalize these things. Why? Because it draws a crowd. Because they sell books. How many of you guys would buy a book today that Jesus is coming because four blood, men, blood moons is going to happen? None of you would buy a book today because the four blood moons came and went and nothing happened. You couldn't, you couldn't sell that book for 22 cents on the corner unless somebody needed it for kindling for firewood. But the guy who wrote the book and sensationalized the four blood moons, guess what? He made millions of dollars. And you would think everybody said, oh, well, the guy predicted all this stuff and nothing, none of it happened. And he's whack. He's false. But no, guess what? That dude's writing another book today about some other sign that people are going to buy books for and sell books. And this, so this sensationalization of, of end times and prophecy, we want to be very careful. We want to be very careful that we, we have a good understanding of what the Word of God says and, and, and what it is. You know, I saw some stuff this week. I saw, you know, you can go on YouTube, and I would really warn you, I'd really caution you, because they're a dime a dozen, they're all over YouTube, and, and most of them would fit in the class of sensationalizing the truth in order to sell copies, in order to scare you, in order to motivate you with something of unbiblical motivation. And, 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 and as I've, I've watched them, I've seen them, I've seen what they're saying. And, and, and some say, well, you know, this, obviously this guy did his homework too. But here's the problem. It's not in the Bible. It's just not biblical. It just does not fit. What's going on? Scaring me. Black Nissan Sentra next to church has to move. Blocking neighbors. Let's give them a hand. Black Nissan Sentra. <laughs> All right. Hey, turn the lights off. We'll let them leave in secret. <laughs> All right. So that yeah, Jesus is coming soon. All right, where were we? Now I'm lost. It's not in the Bible. Sensationalism. Thank you. Somebody is paying attention. Love it. Thank you, guys. Um, so, we, we, again, we're, we're going to go through a few things today. But we, here's what happens, unfortunately. People make a big deal of these signs. And, and I don't want to discount any of them. I think the four blood moons was really cool. I talked about it here in church. I taught on it. I think it had lots of significance, but what I was very careful not to do was not to sensationalize it that I was predicting, that I was saying. But what I, what, you know, I, I, wish I, I wish I did a better job in the last 10 years of keeping track of all the things that we've been paying attention to globally. Because if we put them all together, if I wrote them down, every one of them, and if we had a list over the last 10 years of the signs of the times that have come to pass in our very life, it would blow us away how many things are out there. 
But Jesus said here, but this is not the end. These are signs of the, of the end. But, but occupy till I come and make sure that you're not deceived. Now, now we come to where we are today. And, and again, I call this the mega sign. I've already talked about it. Verse 32 says, now learn the parable from the fig tree, which, it, which its branch is already become tender and put forth leaves. You know that summer is near. You also, when you see all these things, know that it is near. Assuredly, I say to you, the generation that sees this will by no means pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So the fig tree, biblically, in, in the idioms and the types of the Bible prophecy, is a picture of the nation of Israel. So when you see the fig tree in the Bible, it's talking about the nation of Israel. So I would say that, that most would agree that Jesus is saying the generation that sees May 14, 1948, will see these things come to pass. There are others, and they have a good opinion, and, and, and you could be of this opinion. I'm cool with that. Say that this, this, this is another, you know, Jesus often said things like, you know, don't be an ostrich with your head in the sand. Now, that's my paraphrase, but he said, he said you, don't be ignorant to the signs of the times. He said, you know, how does the sailor's delight thing go? Red sky at night, sailor's delight. Red sky in the morning, sailor warning. You know, that idea that you can determine the signs of the weather and, and don't miss the signs of the times. And that you're responsible, that I'm responsible, Jesus said. He wants us to be a learned people. He wants us to be people that are, that are watching and praying and discerning the, the signs of the times. And some would say that this parable fits in more into that class of the fig tree is blossoming and budding. And you, you know that when you see the leaves, the fruit is going to come. And when you see these signs that Jesus is giving, you know that his coming is near. Now, I, I, I would be cool with that. But I think more than that, I think, I think as important is that this Jesus was talking about here, because the fig tree is a type of Israel, biblically, consistently throughout the Bible, that Jesus is saying that the generation that sees Israel's rebirth, Ezekiel 36, Benjamin Netanyahu in a speech said that you people speaking to the group he was speaking to said you have before your very eyes seen Ezekiel 36 come to pass. And, I, and, I, and that is absolutely fact. That, that, that there's no dispute among anybody that 1948, May 14, 1948, is a, is a fulfillment of Ezekiel 36. In Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel 38, we have the next step of what's going to happen in Israel that we're to look for. A very key to understanding biblical prophecy. A very key to understanding what's going to happen to this rebuilt, reborn nation of Israel. And again, a mega sign, now we have lots of different signs, right? But a mega sign is, as we started this sermon today about, is the nation of Israel, is the Jew. Is the fact that God gathered them from the four winds of the earth and brought them back to a homeland. And what's completely miraculous is that they survived 1,900 years without a country. They survived 1,900 years and kept their ethnicity. They kept their culture. They kept their language. They kept their bloodlines. They, they kept everything. No, no other society, no other group in human history has ever made it more than three generations without a homeland. And the nation of Israel went 1,900 years and, and still remained the same that they were the day that Jesus died on a cross as God brought them back from all nations of the earth in a, in a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. 
Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, fulfilled in our lifetime. Ezekiel 37, 38, it describes a war that in, that's going to start the beginning of the end. A war of ten nations led by, what does Ezekiel 37 say that's going to happen? The Gog and Magog invasion, and that's a sign of the end times. 36 fulfilled before our eyes. We're watching for 37 and 38 of Ezekiel. And 37 and 38 in Ezekiel, Iran, Russia, Turkey, and six other, seven other nations march from the north and come upon Israel as the beginning of the end, Ezekiel said, in the rest of that prophecy. Very fascinating. We can't, we can't kind of unpack it today. But we have this understood. Verse 20, uh, 36 says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. One verse to save us so much trouble, you guys. So much trouble. Please don't be a people that's ever deceived by sensationalism in the, in, in the Bible. Listen, do I believe that we are absolutely living in a day that Jesus could come at any moment? Absolutely, 100%. I believe that we live um, and we should live with a doctrine called preeminence. And that means that, that we, we believe that, that Jesus could come back at any moment. That, that Jesus could come back and, and, and that today Jesus can come back. But regardless whether Jesus comes back today or tomorrow or in five years or ten years or thirty years, that we live every day believing that Jesus could come back. And John tells us, the great apostle, old man John in First John says, if you live this way, it purifies how you live. It, 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 it helps you to live in a godly way from now until the Lord comes back. And I want to be clear to say this. We should live every day believing that Jesus could come back today because that's just the truth. And secondly, we, we should live our lives in such a way that we do what Jesus said and we occupy till he comes. He's coming soon, but until he gets here, there's work to be done. There's a gospel that needs to be shared. There's truth that needs to be shared. There's life that needs to be lived. You know, and I personally, I, I, I struggle with this because, you know, how many times is it just easier? Lord, just come back. Goodness, put me out of my misery. Like, I hate what's going on in my life. I hate what's going on in this situation. I hate what's going on here. I'm grieved by this. I'm hurt by this. It's hard. You know, it's hard to live for Jesus. It really is. I wouldn't, wouldn't be loving you and telling you the truth if we didn't tell you that. You know, some places you go and they, they don't want you, they don't, they don't want to scare you. So they say, you know, God's plan for your life is just to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. And, you know, but that's just so far from the truth. God wants those things for you, but that's not his plan for your life. If that was your plan for his life, unfortunately, God failed because for 4,000 years of biblical history, never once did one person in 4,000 years of God's plan ever live a life that was perfectly happy, healthy, and wealthy. Every one of them to the man, guess what they had in their lives? troubles tribulations real life things like you and i face and god says to endure till the end to to stand strong to 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 be an overcomer and and so in our lives yes we believe jesus is coming back we want to live that way jesus says you know in luke 21 one of the big warnings for us he says do not be be caught in the carousing carousing is a word for saying having sex outside of marriage for being shacked up with somebody you're not married to and then he says with drunkenness and revelries how many of you want to be, you know, in the middle of, a, of, a, of an egregious sin when Jesus comes back? You want to be at a bar drunk when the Lord comes back? Do you want to be sleeping with somebody who you're not married to when Jesus comes back? And he, and he warns us for those things. And so we live in such a way that he could come back at any time. But again, no man knows the day or the hour. Very, very, very clear, right? We're not going to be people. I don't care who else gets because it happens all the time. People get sidetracked all the time because somebody comes out and predicts that they know when Jesus is coming back. But that's not going to be us, right? 
You guys aren't sure. All right, well, it's not going to be me, so. All right, then he says, um, listen, verse 37, and this is another sign. Verse 32, we called it a mega sign. Verse, verse 37 is another sign that Jesus is giving. He says, but as the days of Noah were, also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days of Noah, the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the son of man. So Jesus says in the days of of his return, this is rapture stuff. Now, I want to clear something up really quickly um, because we have to have this in our in our cog and our theology to be able to track what I'm saying. Um, And and I, I probably help the confusion a little bit. So let me try to clear it up. Um, the second coming of Jesus Christ is not the rapture. Everybody say, is not. The second coming of Jesus Christ is not the rapture. Okay? So I oftentimes, just in conversation as I'm going, you know, I'll say something that would sound like I'm, I'm putting the two together. But just so we know, biblically, the rapture, Jesus doesn't come to the earth. Where does Jesus come? He meets us in the clouds. First Thessalonians. Okay? He meets us in the clouds. The second coming of Jesus, where does he come? Where does he land? He lands in Israel, in the, in the, in the valley of Megiddo, where, where, the, where the battle of Armageddon is going to take place. And those that, that met him in the clouds at the, at the beginning of the seven years, we're hopefully, the only good place going to be at the battle of Armageddon is if you're looking at Jesus' back. Because you're on a horse behind him. And, and, and you're coming back in the, in the battle of Armageddon. But the, that's, that's the term second coming. It happens at the end of the seven years. We always say Jesus is coming, you know, and it can get confused that we're speaking of the second coming. It's not. So technically the coming of Jesus or the rapture is not the second coming of Jesus. The second coming of Jesus is when he comes back on a white horse, Revelation 19, where Jesus comes back and, and the bride of Christ is coming with him riding on a white horse. That's technically the second coming of Jesus. So we just don't, don't want to get those too confused. So in verse 42, Jesus said, or I'm sorry, verse 40, two, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken and the other left. So how, how many of you guys are like me? Every once in a while, you're like thinking maybe the Lord came back and you reach over to see if your wife is there. That, that's always how I know if Jesus came back or not. If Lydia's gone, I'm in trouble. <laughs> If she's still there, I'm okay. So I check and just see, did I miss the rapture? And did she go up and I get left behind? And, um, but Jesus does say that exact thing. He says two men will be in the field. One will be taken. One will be left. We've seen the movies and we've seen the scenarios and we don't know exactly how it's going to happen because the Bible says it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. The Lord is going to come. But, but the idea is true. There was an old song, famous old school like song by Larry Norman. Anybody know it? called The Sun Has Come, I, I don't even know what the title was, and You've Been Left Behind. You guys got to YouTube it when you leave today, okay? Write that down. Larry Norman, um, uh, I can't think of the title. So good, so good, so good, so good. But it's the same idea that, you know, that, 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 uh, you know, that on the rapture, some people will be taken and some people will be left. Two will be grinding in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. 
you know, when they wrote the books left behind and they were making all the Christian circles, you know, they do things like, like the pilot was a Christian and he got raptured and the plane is flying and the people, some people were not and they're on the plane and they got left. And, but the Bible does describe something like that. Everybody's idea of actually how it's going to happen varies a little bit. I think there's some, some valid points to all of them because, you know, some people say, well, I don't think it's going to be like crazy mass chaos because, because the Bible says that Jesus is going to come in the twinkling of an eye and he's going to come as a thief in the night. So sometimes you don't know the thief came until you wake up in the morning and you might wake up in the morning and have a regular morning until you realize your TV's gone a couple hours later or something. So some people see it that way. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I think, I think in the United States specifically, and this has nothing to do with the Bible, just my own personal thoughts of it, you know, through the years, is that there, there probably is going to be some kind of confusion in the United States that's going to mask the rapture for, for a time, whether a day, a week, two days, something's going to happen, some kind of war, some kind of limited nuclear war, some kind of natural destruction that, that will kind of mask or cloud the event of the rapture just for a little bit, okay? So I'd wish, I wish we'd all been ready um, by Larry Norman. You've got to check that song out. I wish we'd all been ready. He's singing this song, and he talks about one person leaving, and then he says, I wish we'd all been ready. Such a powerful song. I'll tell you, I have a story about that song, but I'm going to skip it because I got like 45 minutes worth of stuff left to cover in the next 15. But Larry Norman, good song. Verse 42, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming when? At an hour you do not expect. So again, God wants you and I, and biblically, he wants you to live with the expectancy that Jesus could come back at any moment. Okay? Um, I'm going to spend the next 15 minutes as we close today, and we're going to... Um, we're going to talk about the rapture and why I think, and we're going to talk pre, post, and mid, and I'm going to give you three, four reasons why I think it's very important that you have and that we have the correct view and why I am so staunch pre-tribulation rapture. I believe it's the only one that works. I believe it's the only one that fits um, in, the, uh, in the whole thing. So I'm going to jam because we got not a lot of time left and lots of stuff to cover. I encourage you to flip with me. A lot of times as I flip, I'm going to ask, I'll wait for you guys, but I'm not going to do that today. So just, you'll just have to get there as we get there. But I'm going to start in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. I will give you some time to get there because I'm going to set it up. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, if you're writing stuff down, um, these, are, these are very simple scriptures um, where the Bible talks about the rapture, okay? Is there going to be a rapture? Okay. Is, is there controversy among camps about whether or not there's going to be a rapture? Absolutely not. I don't care what camp you are in any Christian circle, there is no dispute among the camps of whether or not the Bible clearly teaches a rapture. Where do the camps disagree? When the rapture happens, listen specifically, in um, reference to the seven-year tribulation period because the rapture even either happens in one of several places it happens at the beginning of the seven years what we call a pre-tribulation rapture it happens in the middle of the seven years which we call a mid-tribulation rapture the end of the seven years which we call a post-tribulation rapture 
the mid- and post-tribulation rapture theories have a major, major problem because God's word says that he has not appointed you and I to wrath. So the Christian, you can't get over that. The Christian will not face the wrath of God in the tribulation. So of late, there's been a new theory that's, that's popularized among the mid- and post-tribulation rapture theories that it's called a pre-wrath rapture theory. So we go into the tribulation for a period of time, and, and, and God keeps us from the wrath, and then um, prior to him pouring out his wrath on the earth at some point, the church goes up. It's the only way that the mid or post can explain um, the very clear scripture that we are not to um, be appointed to wrath. Now, um, one of the things that happens in church is that the, the, where you stand, okay, and I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I would venture to say that there is some disagreement in this room among us um, or some uncertainty of whether the Bible teaches a pre, mid, or post-tribulation rapture theory. Now, I, 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 I used to be of the opinion that it's not a big deal. It really is not. Because, listen, it's not a dividing issue among us as brothers and sisters in Christ. The, the, the greatest commandment is not to have the right tribulation view. One person got it, right? What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as... So love is first. We want to love each other regardless if you have bad doctrine and believe in mid or, or post-trib. I love you anyways, and you're welcome here, and we fellowship, and we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and I, I never wanted to, and I still don't, want to be guilty of creating division among the body because we have a different idea of how eschatology plays out, the study of end times. And, and so I wanted to um, know for myself. Now, I grew up in Calvary. Calvary is very staunch pre. Matter of fact, if, if I form an opinion for our church that we're mid or post, Calvary says, we love you, we respect you, but you've got to take our name off the, off the wall and the dove down. It's that big of an issue for them. That, that you could do what you want. And many Calvary, not many, but there have been. Calvary Chapel Indio, he was one of my teachers when I was in Bible college. His name was Pastor Ron Finch. He taught Greek and Hebrew. Scholarly, scholarly, scholarly guy. Pastor to Calvary Chapel in Indio, he came to the conclusion that, that there was a mid or post-tribulation rapture theory. And Calvary said, God bless you, Pastor Ron, but you can't be a Calvary with that, with that opinion. So, so I grew up in church, in college, growing up studying the Word of God, very, very pre-tribulation rapture. And when I, when I, when I came out to Tooele, I, I, I kind of felt like, again, it's dividing the body of Christ. And I don't want it to divide us. I don't think it's that big of a deal. And, and I don't want people to be hurt by which, where you fall. And I still don't. It's very important to me. But I also, in, in a lot of areas of my life, but, but this being one of them, I had some opinions that, that I got because the people that trained me and raised me had. And, and to be honest to myself, to be honest to you, to be able to get up here with a clear conscience and teach certain things, I couldn't teach them because that's what the, the people that taught me taught. I, I could only teach them if, if I believed them really in my heart. So I spent a lot, a lot, a lot of time recently in the last five years mulling over this subject, not because, because I needed to have it in my own heart. I needed to be able to walk it straight in my own life. And, and, and when I went through that period of study and research, and um, I, I came to the conclusion that it is a really big deal, and you have to have it right. And, and the reason why you have to have it right is because, and, and we, we often come to this point when we talk about the, the seven years and the rapture. Why it becomes a big deal is because of this. 
if you believe in, depending on where you put the rapture in your eschatology, it, it, it dictates how you understand 66 other books in the Bible, 66 period books in the Bible. It affects everything. It affects the way that you understand the entire typology, the pictures, the, 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 every ramification of the heart of God, of the person of God, of the, of the rapture, of the, you know, and it affects everything Genesis to Revelation where you put the rapture. It's an important issue. If you put the rapture in the middle of the seven-year period, it changes the way we understand the rest of, of these scriptures. And there's only one theory that's consistent genesis to revelation and goes all the way through and that's a pre-tribulation rapture theory it's the only one that works it's the only one that that makes sense 100 percent. and um i'm going to give you my personal three reasons for that today and that's how we're going to end um you guys can kind of again like you know you, you guys probably thankfully hopefully will come maybe to the position that i did i'm i'm pre-tribulation rapture because pastor chris is because that's the church I go to. And, and you'll come to a point where maybe you'll say, hey, but I want to I be that because I know that's true in my heart. And, and, and put some little work in and put some study in for yourself and be a Berean and, and do some of the homework. But again, be careful that um, what, I, what I look for when I look for certain commentaries and teachers, especially in the area of eschatology, and what I found um, even this week in looking on some of those sensationalized videos on YouTube where a guy takes two hours to go through this topic to twist the Bible to say something it doesn't say, and it took him two hours, and he had to come up and say, well, it says days, but days don't mean days here. They actually mean years, and three verses later, days mean days. And I'm like, which is it, days or years? You know, and he went through this painstaking deal. To, so here's what I look for. I look for, and what I, what I, what I think is, is, a, is a value that you can't underestimate, is for teachers and Bible expositors who teach the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Because if you approach biblical eschatology with an understanding of Genesis chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 22 and everything in between, all that information goes into the decisions that you're making. And it's very, very valuable. And so, you know, J.D. Farag, he's a, he's a pastor in, 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 in Hawaii who is a prophecy, what we call a prophecy buff. Every week online he does prophecy updates. And they're very good. But he's a guy who teaches, before his prophecy update every day, he's teaching a chapter... Um, in the Bible, he goes through the whole Bible. When he makes a decision about where the rapture is, about this, about that, he has the, the entire Bible um, in, in mind. Okay, now other people may not take time to go through every chapter and every verse in Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Exodus, and they, they're, they're looking for the ones that are specifically about Bible prophecy, and it can get a little strange. So, all right, so real quick, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. <clears throat> But I do not want you to be ignorant. Somebody say ignorant, but not you, right? Not talking about you. Okay, don't look at your neighbor and say ignorant. Just look at me. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those which have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. So there's three, there's not three things. There's, there's multiple things that, that Paul tells us in the New Testament he doesn't want us to be ignorant about. Another study. But i just tell you a couple. Right here, Paul says, I don't want you to be church. I don't want you to be ignorant concerning the rapture. Number two, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Romans 11, 25, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning the nation of Israel. Okay? Number three, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning spiritual gifts. Okay? You want to know where the church struggles the most? Spiritual gifts, the rapture of the church, and the place of Israel. 
And, and so, so there's, there's others too, but Paul doesn't want us to be ignorant. Look at verse 16. This is our rapture verse. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord, always be with the Lord. So this is some people say, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Well, the word Bible is not in the Bible. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. But the word um, where it says that we will be caught up. Where do we get that word? That's our word. So if you don't like the word rapture, I don't care. Then the Lord, then you could say, oh, the Bible doesn't teach a rapture. Okay, well, it teaches a caught up. Absolutely. It says the word caught up, and it says it multiple times. And the word rapture, just so you know, when you take this word caught up in 1 Thessalonians, in the, in the, um, in the Latin version of our Bible translation, the word is a raptus. And that's where we get our English word rapture. That's how it comes. Okay, but it's the same word, caught up, raptus, rapture. Um, that we, there will be a rapture. And again, none of the camps dispute the idea whether there will be a rapture or not, more or less where it is. Verse 18, listen to what this says, super important. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So should the rapture be something that's ominous for you? Should it be something that's scary? Should it scare you that the Lord is coming back? Uh, should the end time, not if you love Jesus, somebody said, amen. If, if the, the, the scenarios of the end and the end times and eschatology and Jesus coming back, it's not supposed to scare us. And if you ever hear a sermon, if you ever hear a message and the intent is to scare you, it, it's, it's wrong, okay? And I never want to be guilty of that. I think we should be scared straight into the fact that we should be ready. It, it should challenge us if we're living a life of sin because we don't want to be caught, as Jesus said. You want to watch him pray, and I certainly don't want to be left behind. And so that part should waken us up, but the intent was never to scare us. Bible says, comfort one another with these words. Let me tell you this. If you live a post or a, or a mid-tribulation rapture theory, how comforting is it for me to tell you, hey, for three and a half years, you're going to live in the most ominous, worst times of human history. In the first, very first of the seven years, the first thing that's going to happen in Revelation 6, God is going to re release the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And by the time they're done, it says that, th that a third of the, the population of planet Earth will, will have died in earthquakes and pestilence and wars. Are you comforted? Are you encouraged? Didn't Jesus say that when he comes, it would be as the days of Noah? What was happening in the days of Noah? Were people dodging, you know, meteorites that were landing and earthquakes and pestilence and famines and wars when, Noah, when the God shut the door on Noah's ark? Was there all this calamity on planet Earth when God shut the door on Noah's ark? No, Jesus said men were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Let me ask you this. If Jesus doesn't come in the beginning and rapture us before all this stuff starts and we have to go through any of it, do you think that when you read Revelation chapter 6 and you see the world coming under amazing chaos that the world has never seen before to the point that a third of, of planet Earth, two billion people or two and a half billion people die in a short, a short amount of time, that you're going to be eating, drinking, and giving in marriage? Well, two billion people died on planet Earth, but I want to invite you to my son's wedding next Saturday. All right. So I don't think they're going to be eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage if, if Jesus doesn't come in the beginning. 
Hey, real quick, we, we are so out of time, and i got so much to cover. Okay, uh, 1 Corinthians. I want you to know this, though. Write that down. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Okay, that's our other um, proof text for the rapture. And this doesn't even prove why I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I haven't even got there yet. This just believes why we have a rapture. 1, Thessalonians, or 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Know this. Mark it in your Bibles. Write it down. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed. Okay, listen, I want that verse written down, put on a plaque, and placed in the infant nursery. Jackie, you got it? It says, Behold, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Infant nursery. Okay, they're not all going to sleep, but all their diapers have to be changed. Okay? Um, so if we're not all going to sleep, the word sleep is die. Okay? We've already read in in 1 Thessalonians, the Bible says that the dead in Christ will rise first, and then those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air to meet the Lord in the clouds. So so there's there's those that have died in Christ. They're going to go first in the rapture. God's going to rapture their their bodies, their souls, and they're going to go first, and then then those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Here in 1 Corinthians, we get the same idea. Not all will die. Some... Maybe us, maybe we will be the one generation in all of human history in the most exciting days that there have ever been will be the generation that will be alive and never die. Okay? Everybody dies except for the generation that goes up in the rapture, except Enoch and Elijah. Only two people in human history that never died and us, the folks or whoever, if it's us, if we're alive and well, we're going to go up and we're not going to die because all will sleep. But we shall all be changed. So there's some that will be alive and will be changed while they're alive. What does that mean, will be changed? Changed to what? Into your glorious bodies, your eternal body. The same body that Jesus showed up with on the mountain of transfiguration with Elijah and Moses. And they were transfigured before the disciples and they glue. And they had that that same body that Jesus was in post-resurrection when he came into the house without coming through the doors and um, not doors being open. And he ate and he still had this glorified body that the Bible talks about in John 14. So we will all be changed in verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible put on incorruption and this mortality has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is the victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. All right, so that was just that there is a rapture. Now, three things. I'm going to do them in two minutes. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 9. It says, and again, these are my three things today quickly, that why it has to be a pre-tribulation rapture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse number 9, it says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 11, Therefore comfort each other and edify one another as you are. Second time, in a very short time, Paul tells us to comfort one another with these words. So some would say, again, the pre-wrath theory. So we know that we're not appointed to wrath. Now, you guys are considered the what of Christ the bride of Christ. 
Now, let me, let's just play back, ladies. Let's start with you. When you got engaged for the first time and he got on one knee and, you know, in Hawaii on the sand of the shore, right? Gave you a ring and he said, marry me. Or you, maybe he was like me and you were laying on a trampoline at night watching the stars and I didn't have a ring. And I said, we should get married. <laughs> you should marry me. <laughs> um, but then after he asked you to marry him, he grabbed you by the throat and he slapped you for three and a half years. Because you're the bride of Christ. How many of you guys are going to marry a bride who's going to beat you or a fiance who's going to beat you for three and a half years before he takes you as his wife? So, so again, the idea is very clear. The Bible says we're not appointed to wrath. We're not going to have the bride of Christ. God's not going to have us go through wrath for three and a half years and then rapture us. That, that it's wrath. And again, now those that would argue this, the only solution they have to this is what's called the pre-wrath idea, which means that the wrath of God does not actually happen until later. So um, in Revelation 6, which is the very first part of the tribulation, it's the very first thing that happens in the seven-year period. Antichrist is raised on the scene, and then the world goes to, to chaos very quickly in the tribulation. And the first thing that God does as a part of the seven years, in the first three and a half years, in the first season, is he releases the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And in the four horsemen of the apocalypse, you can read it in Revelation chapter 6, we have the seven years of um, tribulation detailed for us in Revelation 6 through 19. So in chapter 6, the very first chapter, the very first part, we have the most, and I was going to read it to you guys, I don't have time. You can read it, Revelation 6. It is absolutely the worst thing going on on planet Earth at the time as the four horsemen of the apocalypse are released. Famines, wars, pestilence, the ocean's dying, um, meteors are landing on the Earth. And then in verse 17 of Revelation 6, is it 16, it says, And said to the mountains and the rocks, the men said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. The what of the Lamb? The wrath. In verse 17, for the great day of his wrath has come. The very first part of the tribulation. You can't, you can't get very far into the tribulation before the Bible even says as much, that it's the wrath of God that's being poured out. So you, you, the pre-wrath uh, theory doesn't work very well for me because the wrath happens right in the beginning. And there's no way as you go through and you read what's happening in Revelation that, 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 that we're facing some kind of wrath. It's... It's not happening. Um, I, let me do one more. I know we're way over. Let me do one more. I got to come over. Let me do one more. I'm going to close my Bible for it so that we can just be done. I'll just talk to this last one and then we'll pray. Second um, Thessalonians chapter seven. You can write it down. Read it. Second Thessalonians seven and eight. It says that the that, that before the Antichrist is revealed, the rest, restrainer has to be removed. Okay. So, so we as Christians believe from Second Thessalonians chapter seven, verses chapter two, verses seven and eight, that we will never, we won't know who the Antichrist is because we'll have to be removed before Antichrist is revealed. So we're not looking for Antichrist; we're looking for Jesus Christ. It's futile. It's fun. But it's futile for us to try to argue and decide who we think the Antichrist is going to be because the rapture happens before the Antichrist is revealed. The restrainer has to be taken out, Second Thessalonians, before Antichrist can be revealed. So some people said, oh, the restrainer is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to be taken off planet Earth. Well, no, 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 there's no way. 
Read, read again, Revelation 6 through 19, seven years detailed. The uh, Holy Spirit is busy on planet Earth. He's working. He's here. So then what is the restrainer that's removed before Antichrist can be revealed? Very simply, it is the Holy Spirit that's at work in you and I. You know what's restraining evil on planet Earth right now? You, me, us praying, us seeking. Our God, the presence of God in our lives is restraining evil. Can you imagine when all that's, that's Christian and godly is removed, the, the floodgates of evil that will that'll come in a the, in the seven-year period without us? But so that's going to be removed. Antichrist is going to be revealed. So when the Antichrist is revealed, the first thing that he does, Daniel chapter 9, is he makes a seven-year tribulation, uh, makes a seven-year treaty with Israel. That happens at the beginning of seven years. Three and a half years later, abomination of desolation, he breaks that treaty. So if the Antichrist has to be here at the beginning of the seven years, and the church has to be taken out before Antichrist comes, that teaches pre-tribulation rapture. There's 25 of these things I'm going to go through in the Bible. Maybe we'll do a couple more next week, but that, that's, that's all we've got time for today. It's all we've got overtime. Let's stand. Let's pray. Hey, the, the main thing again is we want everybody to be ready. We want you to make sure that you've made your peace with God. I, I personally don't believe that um, there's, there's a biblical precedence to say that if, if you reject Jesus and you miss the rapture, that you'll have opportunity to get saved in the, in the tribulation period, that, that, that the door will be closed. Two, two thoughts for that. When the, the rapture is pictured throughout the whole Bible in lots of different um, scenarios that teach us all the same thing, and one of them was the great flood of Noah's time. And, and, and for 120 years, Noah preached and said, there's coming a great flood. Everybody get ready. And it says that the world mocked. And it says that they, they continued to eat, drink, and be merry. But none of them got on the boat with Noah. Noah preached for 120 years and never had one convert. And it says there came a day when the door of the ark was what? Was shut. And when the door of the ark was shut, what happened to all those that were on the outside? How many of them got saved? Not a one of them. Next, next week in Matthew 25, you can read ahead if you want, Jesus tells a parable of ten virgins. And he says, when the bridegroom comes, the ten virgins that had oil and were ready, the bridegroom invited them into the chambers and he shut the door, just like he did on the ark. And those that were on the outside were doomed. And, 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 and I believe that there's a, there's a precedence for the Bible that we want, and we just want to be ready. Who wants to gamble that? Once you gamble that you're going to somehow survive two-thirds of, of the population of planet Earth being dying and somehow miraculously making it to the three-and-a-half-year mark where you have to lose your head to not take the mark of the beast and on and on and on. i got a much, much easier solution for you. Be ready today. Get your life and your heart right with Jesus. Ask him in. Repent of your sins and go up in the rapture. Who, who goes up? Last thing, I promise. Who goes up in the rapture? Worthy Christians or all Christians? Good Christians or all Christians? Listen, when I took my wife on, on our honeymoon as the bra, as my bride, I didn't, I didn't leave her one of her toes at home because it wasn't very good or one of her fingers. I took the whole body with me. 
and the whole body of Christ goes up. We all go up. If you're a part of the body of Christ, we never want to be afraid that you don't go up or you're not a part of that. We all go up. I'll make sure you're part of the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We ask your blessing over our day, God. And, Father, that each one of us would be ready, God, for your return. That each one of us in our hearts would be saying right now, yes, Jesus, I want to be ready. I repent. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean in the blood. And, Jesus, we love you and we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. Go grab your kids, please.